Hello, welcome to the McGill International Review's coverage of the 44th Canadian federal election. My name is Sarah Parker. My name is Grace Parrish. And I'm Adam Steiner. And today we're going to, to be talking about the official French language leaders debate that took place on September 8th. So the debate was between Liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the Conservative candidate Aaron O'Toole, NDP candidate Jagmeet Singh, Bloc Québécois candidate Yves-François Blanchet, and Green Party candidate Annemie Paul. This year there was a really interesting format that rotated between questions from voters at home, one-on-one questions for each of the leaders, one-on-one-on-one little debates between the leaders, questions from a rotating group of journalists to each leader, and then some moments of open debate between all the leaders. And it tackled a bunch of huge issues in Canadian politics right now, COVID-19, healthcare systems, and pandemic recovery, um, as well as affordability and the cost of living in Canada, uh, things around the environment and climate change, reconciliation, Indigenous people, and then also justice and Canadian foreign policy. So right off the bat of the debate, we saw Trudeau immediately having to justify calling the election, uh, which kind of gave him the opportunity to essentially state his thesis for the whole debate um, by saying, like, look at what a mess this whole debate is and look at how many different ideas we all have. Um, So you might as well give me a majority because I know what I'm doing and this will be a coherent way out of the pandemic. And he kind of repeated this point um, in various ways throughout the debate. Uh, in regards to that question though, like about immediate, like having to justify calling the election, all the leaders got asked if they would have called the election, which they obviously all said no to. And they kind of committed to a full mandate. Like if they were to get elected, they would have, they would commit to a full four years, um, which is interesting because you don't really see Canadian leaders agree to that, um, especially with Uh, the potential like a very high possibility of a minority government but Mm -hmm. maybe they were keeping it to that very the very current highly specific context in which it's Justin Trudeau calling an election yeah I I I also found that to to be a very kind of odd um early uh question uh since it's it's kind of impossible to tell what the vote is going to look like on September 20th which means we'll have no idea what the makeup of the House of Commons is, is going to look like. And most likely we'll probably have to go through um, a campaign before these next four years are over, uh, the, the way it's looking right now. Um, but it, it's, it's true that um, the, the main question right now or what lots of uh, the opposition is, is trying to frame this campaign as is Justin Trudeau is trying to go out there, trying to take advantage of you um, and, and kind of uh, uh, gain some more support in the House of Commons, which from day one of this campaign, uh, it hasn't looked like he's been able to do or will be able to do. Um, and so Trudeau really had to kind of um, have have a strong thesis, as as you said, Sarah, in order to to justify this uh, this election call, um, which is looking uh, like we'll just end and end up right back where we started from last month. Well, I found his framing of it pretty interesting. Like the whole, he, he essentially argued that um, Canadians deserve an opportunity to decide their way out of the pandemic. Obviously, like most of the criticism of Trudeau was like, you can't call, like, why would you call a snap election um, right at the beginning of the fourth wave? Kind of conveniently ignoring that a lot of the pro- a handful of uh, provincial premiers did the exact same thing at considerably worst, worst points of the pandemic, um, like pre-vaccination, looking at you, John Horgan. Um, but I, I kind of liked the framing, like I almost bought into it. I was like, yeah, okay, that, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, give Canadians an opportunity to decide how they want to end the pandemic. That I makes mean, sense. It's, it is just a lot of political spin in that case. That's and true. we saw yeah. it equally on the other side, like especially with Jagmeet Singh, he took a lot of opportunities to even come back to that point throughout the debate. Um, why would you call that election? Um, but I think it's a point people are using for messaging 
um, and saying like, oh, I'm going door to door. All these people are telling me they wish there wasn't an election now. Um, but at this point, it is what it is. And we're going to have an election. Yeah, I, I don't think it's really kind, kind of like the make it or break it topic um, currently. Uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of an easy kind of first punch for people like Aaron O'Toole and Jigmeet Singh to throw um, at Justin Trudeau. I mean, surprisingly, though, it wasn't, you know, like the leaders who were mostly attacking him for it, like Jagmeet Singh brought it up, I don't know, a billion times during the debate. <laughs> he just kind of kept on bringing it up, uh, even though they weren't necessarily talking about the calling the election, but he kept on bringing it up, even though like the NDP was essentially prepared for a fall election. They had their, um, you know, they had their big party conference like a few months ago. Surprisingly, it was Annamy Paul who didn't actually engage in that kind of like piling on Trudeau for calling an election, even though it was her party that, you know, kind of objectively got screwed over the most. Like they're only running candidates and um, I think like what, two thirds of the ridings, one third or two thirds or something like that. Um, and like she, you know, like they've been having internal party issues for like very heavily publicized internal party issues for months. Um, and this was kind of the worst time for the Greens to go into an election and Anime Paul just kind of ran with it, which I admire. Like, I, I liked that. I liked that she wouldn't um, spend too much time talking about how pointless the election was, like even right off the bat. No, she totally could have. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know we obviously don't have access to like internal party polling. I think it's probably not an issue that voters really care as much. I don't know why Jugmeet keeps bringing it up but it probably wouldn't have been that helpful to Anime to bring it up and go on that point. It's also the question of a full mandate coming back to that is so hypothetical. If you think about like back to 2019, like now we are in a huge unprecedented, sorry, but unprecedented pandemic. And it's like, imagine if we're thinking that far ahead in 2019. But also like a full mandate isn't necessarily your like up to the prime minister, you know, a confidence yeah. vote can happen at any time. So it's interesting to hear them all be like, yeah, you know, I would serve the full, the full four years. No, you wouldn't. Minority governments never last the full four years. You're being optimistic, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That, that question just seemed kind, kind of like it, it, it was being framed as just an easy yes or no kind of soundbite type question that could, that, that could just uh, get, get people kind of drawn in right off off the bat, but it, it is framed um, like very weirdly, I'd say. It's also pointed, like, do you say no? No, I don't want to work with these other parties. Elect me prime minister still. Yeah, it was, it was definitely like kind of an opportunity to like, you know, sucker punch Justin right at the beginning. Um, but it was cool. It was a cool start to the whole thing. Uh, and then they really got into um, talking about long-term care for seniors and obviously every candidate was like, yeah, you know, seniors deserve better. Um, interesting to hear Trudeau talk about that. That was kind of a topic that all the candidates really agreed on because there's not really any easy way to disagree on making long-term care homes better. And then they got into some interesting spats over vaccine mandates. Uh, Jagmeet Singh really emphasized his approval of mandates, like really pro-mandate. Erin um, O'Toole came under attack for not mandating his own MPs to get vaccinated, uh, which he kind of skirted around the question a lot. Apparently he did better at answering it in the English debate. I'm not surprised at that, considering um, O'Toole's French is clearly not, not right up there with, you know, Trudeau, Blanchet. Uh, so they talked about vaccine passports. They talked about child care plans. Uh, which I was personally very interested in, uh, considering like the uh, liberal the liberals' big plan to reduce the cost of childcare over the next few years, uh, and the conservative response to that in producing child tax credits. I am personally very interested in this topic because that's how I originally got into Canadian politics, meeting Paul Martin when I was three years old. <laughs> he was going on a tour around the country. Uh, talking about his big his childcare uh, proposal back way back when um, I'm very old and I was there and he got and I was on the news because I was a little kid in childcare and he was like look at look at her don't you want her to have good childcare um, and now I'm in Canadian politics 
Yeah, and this is a really interesting point in the debate just because of the format. There wasn't a whole lot of room to even differentiate the platforms. It was a lot of just back and forth of people saying like, you don't have a plan, your plan isn't good. Um, And not a lot of actual content, which I think is really difficult when we look at this as such an important issue, but it's also like has all these complex layers of economic issues and education um, and things like that. So it's, it's definitely interesting. It wasn't even the most coherent. I think it started off with Singh just blaming the conservatives and the liberals for the last 30 years. Um, and just saying that nothing had been done. And then again, it comes kind of as a point where these leaders can be like, well, why didn't you call, why did you call a snap election instead of staying in the House of Commons and putting together a plan, which is an interesting point. But when it's repeated again and again and again, it's kind of been deconstructed. We are in an election. I don't know if it's the most useful to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'd say the uh, the points on childcare was probably one of the the points where Aaron O'Toole did the the most harm to himself here. Um, since since uh, it's the French language debate, uh, and most people watching are most likely in Quebec, um, uh, chi- childcare is a very important topic in in this province, and it it is a uh, very heavily subsidized um, and that's very much valued in in Quebec and Aaron O'Toole's plan to defund uh, childcare in order to put in place a tax credit system. Um, I I don't think uh, has been like the, the, a a very well-received plan in in Quebec. It it may be well-received in other parts of the country, um, but in, in the context of this uh, this French debate, um, that was probably one of his weaker points and one that won't be too appealing to lots of voters in Quebec. Oh, and Adam, you're, you're totally right. And Blanchet gave him, like kind of attacked him for it. He was like, no, this is like, your plan is not going to work in Quebec. Why would you defund? Why would you try to defund our, um, our daycare system that we really, really like? and it's been in place for for decades mm-hmm. and, he, and I think O'Toole did try to say like oh yeah we're not going to defund it like we're still you're still going to get a certain amount of money and stuff we just want it but going back to Grace's point about the format I think each candidate only had about 45 seconds uh, to answer a question which is not nearly enough time to get into the policy while let's say like the open debate parts were five minutes each so there's five minutes in which everyone is talking over each other and attacking each other rather than actually talking about the policy. Um, and at least at least in a lot of like kind of the pundit coverage of the of both debates, the format was the thing that got uh, the most amount of criticism rather than any of the candidates. So I think we really saw that with that child care question, um, a lack of opportunity for the candidates to really talk about their policy around it um, and have a good conversation about like why their policy is better than an alternative uh, in favor of who knows yelling <laughs> yeah well I, having a handful of topics and a handful of different ways the questions are asked and new people coming on screen from all all over the country and new journalists coming in to ask each question then there's five different leaders that have to answer each one and that all just gets boiled down into two hours it's it's not concise or well it is concise but it's not uh there's there's no real meaning behind most answers there's no kind of uh substantive conversation uh well, it, which... it's chaotic right and you especially got that with the journalists coming in with their little rapid fire oh, rapid fire attacks everyone which i quite i kind of liked it it was it was fun it was entertaining not a policy yeah. conversation though. yeah yeah <laughs> There was also a pretty good moment from Annamie Paul where she almost was like moderating the debate too. And she basically said, perhaps the men should let a woman speak here on this issue of childcare. Um, But again, when we go to the actual content, like the Liberals, the NDP and the Green all have broadly pretty similar childcare plans. So it's, it's hard to really differentiate beyond like saying that the issue is important. 
Yeah. And I think one of the one of the reasons people watch the debates or theoretically one of the reasons people watch the debates is to really see kind of these parties that are fairly similar to them um, actually go head to head and you'll be able to kind of point out the differences. And it just didn't really they don't really have that opportunity. Uh, Anyway, and then they also talked about um, how the Conservatives only released their budget of platform two hours before the debate. One of the journalists was, was pretty mad about that one. Uh, Aaron O'Toole didn't really know how to defend himself in that situation. Uh, and then there's a lots of debate about uh, environmental policy in Canada. So this is inspired by a question from not a voter, but rather an 11-year-old uh, boy who was the king of the whole debate, if you're asking me adorable just the greatest, yeah. the greatest speaker yeah. he has a future in politics that one yeah yeah it seems scary going on on national tv uh in front of everyone and asking some of the most important people in, in the country and a, a very pressing question on climate change so uh, kudos to to charles for doing and, and his question fossil fuels yeah yeah, and in his question, he his question was about climate change, and he said specifically he was worried. He's eleven years old. He's worried for the future of his kids, which super striking moment. Yeah, it was it was yeah. a big moment, and I think everybody, at least all the candidates, seemed to be kind of pleasantly surprised that there was a kid, and that this kid probably wasn't going to be um, too angry and attacking them. But then Charles just kind of sat there with like this frown on his face. <laughs> as they answered all the questions, even though like all the cans were like, it's so good to meet you. You're so impressive. It was a great moment. But um, the environmental question really did kind of spark an interesting debate between the candidates, um, specifically about Trudeau's environmental record. And they got really deep into um, talking about pipelines. Anami Paul um, kind of notoriously mixed up the Trans Mountain Pipeline with Coastal Gas Link, which was a little interesting for um, people who are familiar with them. But it was, that was kind of one of my favorite parts of the debate where everybody was kind of talking about um, clearly an issue that has become increasingly important in Canada in the past like few years alone. We definitely wouldn't have seen this amount of discussion dedicated uh, to climate change even back in 2015, I think. Um, it's clearly been kind of brought into the consciousness of Canadian voters in the past few years. Yeah, well, it, it, it for sure is is a main topic uh, in all of Canadian politics currently, um, which is great to, to see since it's, uh, since it's a kind of a world-changing issue that has to be solved. Um, and it, it's, it's great seeing, seeing most parties uh, take, taking it seriously, even Aaron O'Toole, whose party says that climate change isn't real, says that he believes climate change is real. So not sure how to, to feel on that one. Um, but uh, I, the, the, the good thing in my mind is that much of the conversation is not focused on we're doing too much. It's uh, how, how can we do more to fight climate change? Um, and it seems, it seems like most parties are kind of on the same page there. Um, and so, uh, that, that is, is even for all of the disagreements on how to combat climate change, it is great to, to see most, most of the parties on the same page saying that we should do more, uh, and that we have to act quickly. And we see this... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to bring up that we see this point from both the NDP and the conservatives that the liberal, liberal government has never met uh, like a goal that they've a target for climate change. Um, what do you guys think of that argument when it's, you know, it's definitely, I guess, in if you just look at like straight up the, uh, the targets, we haven't met them, but there is a greater change towards climate change. Do you think that's impactful to voters in this kind of format where you can just say it and Trudeau can't really fully defend it? I mean, I think well, that if, you know, you're a voter and climate change is really, really important to you, like if it's kind of one of your deciding, um, you know, political issues, I don't think you were going to vote liberal anyway. Um, if only because that you have two other kind of more left-leaning parties who have talked a lot more about climate, have talked a lot more about climate um, 
in the pot like for longer um, than the liberals have and kind of just looking at like, you know, Trudeau's records on buying pipelines. Um, there isn't too much that the liberals can do to really get um, really devout environmentalists. I can see Adam wanting to disagree with me on this. Um, <laughs> that being said though, I think like, you know, you do have to give, um, you know, Trudeau's government credit for actually talking about environment a lot, for using environmental issues as a pathway for reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. Um, and I think that assuming that they do, if they do get a majority, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I see them introducing more environmental policy and kind of being a bit more ambitious, seeing as a lot of kind of the backlash to their environmental policies tends to come from the more conservative side of the house. Yeah, um, it, 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 it seems like um, in most conversations having to do with climate and the liberals, the kind of the, the easy answer is always, oh, but you, you bought a pipeline. Um, but that, that also kind of overlooks steps that the, the Trudeau government has made uh, towards having like a more ambitious climate policy um, over these past few years. And I, I, I think even what I found really interesting was last week when the, um, uh, a, a panel of climate experts kind of scored all, all of the different part, parties' climate plans. And uh, I think the Liberals got an eight out of 10 and the Conservatives were in second place with a five out of 10, which I mean, scoring 50% isn't that great, but they're still in second. I, I was really surprised to see the NDP only got a two out of 10 um, in, a, in that. And that's something that I, I think Trudeau has been really trying to, to hammer Jigmeet Singh on, uh, is that saying uh, that the, the NDP can, can promise all of these things, but uh, the Liberals have a plan to, to both be ambitious and get things done. Um, and that's kind of, it, that also just shows the contrast uh, in, in the goals of both the Liberal and the the Liberals and the NDP, because the Liberals know they have a solid shot of being in power, whereas the NDP, their role in Parliament is mainly to push the governing party to uh, to take on more ambitious policy. Um, but there, there, there is, I, I, I think on on most sides, a, a fairly ambitious climate policy. Um, yeah. Not sure. I have a point about, you know, like the, the panel of experts and people just bringing up and being like, oh, the experts say this, the mm -hmm. experts say this about my plan. It's not necessarily so objective as that, you know, yeah. like there's different ways and different levels to weigh what's realistic and what's going to make an impact. And I think we saw that too with like Annamie Paul is saying, oh, my plan was made by people with PhDs in this in our cabinet in our shadow cabinet um and it's a little bit it is like obviously the liberals are going to say the experts approved our plan they're all informed by their own you know ideology and positions so you can't necessarily just say like oh the experts said this is the best plan and that's just how it is it's not that yeah. straightforward and it's not necessarily mm -hmm. how voters think of each of the parties either mm -hmm. yeah yeah. And uh, yeah, no plan is perfect. And uh, I mean, there's there's always room to, to grow, I think, on all topics, on on all sides of, of the aisle. And we saw even like Aaron O'Toole try and strike this balance when people were saying his plan wasn't enough. He says, well, it's more realistic than yours and it's more realistic for the economy. And it's an interesting point, especially in the middle of the country in places where currently the economy is more dependent on things like fossil fuels and the energy industry. Well, O'Toole does seem to kind of, at least in terms of environmental policy, know his base. You know, he talks a lot about um, kind of meeting the Paris targets uh, from the Paris Climate Accords, rather than anything a bit more specific or anything um, more kind of related to actually what's kind of producing uh, carbon emissions in Canada, specifically. So just kind of like carefully avoiding uh, lots of talk about fossil fuels and such and talking about reducing a carbon tax, which has been 
um, a very popular idea in large swaths of Western Canada of people who do not want to um, pay an extra ta tax on their gas, for example. Uh, so I, I, I think I think a lot of their policies do kind of make sense knowing their base. But yeah, I agree with you, right? I think in terms of when you say that, and that's like, oh, the experts back up everything. Like the, the experts aren't going to back up anything. Um, nobody's going to, at least in at least as far as I know, um, none of these parties are going to come out and say outright lies um, about anything. They are going to be fairly backed up. But it is interesting that um, the conservative uh, environmental platform scored fairly well um, mm -hmm. by a panel of environmentalists. And I thought yeah. it was interesting on a messaging point too, we saw between the conservatives and the liberals, Trudeau is, this has been consistent throughout the campaign, bringing up Harper and being like, you're going to go back to the Harper days with these plans. It's a very interesting strategy that's, it's been in political ads to this campaign and it's probably pretty effective. Yeah, that that came up a lot with Andrew Scheer, I found. I, and it's it's kind of been toned down as, as time has passed since 2015. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it, it is kind of the, the, the liberal kind of scare tactic, like, oh, we're going back the Stephen Harper days. Well, I think we'll just one, see that coming up over and over again. Well, that's what won Trudeau in 2015 was so many people just so mm -hmm. strongly disliked Harper. Um, mm -hmm. So it's kind of like they're going back to their roots of, of saying like, hey, like this is the alternative to Harper. Don't yeah. you, don't you hate Stephen? Um, <laughs> vote Justin instead, right? Um, at least that was like one part. The, the other part of their campaign in 2015 was like, look at how new and pretty he is, <laughs> which I think they should return return to. I think they really should talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, we Justin did see the single, the single strand flowing this, down. <laughs> the forehead, it wasn't curled enough. It was just so kind of flat, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying, if I, was, if I was Justin's hairstylist, I would have done like the delightful little, little Disney prince curl. Mm. I just think that would have really resonated um, with the moms at home. Um, also, kind of going back uh, to the debate, uh, there was a whole section about um, Indigenous issues and Indigenous reconciliation. Uh, one of the main questions of that was the recognition of Indigenous languages in the Official Languages Act. Uh, so currently the Official Languages Act recognizes uh, English and French as the official languages of Canada, but there has been a recent push to include Indigenous languages and in that uh, notably all the parties, except for uh, the Bloc and the Conservatives said like, yeah, we're open to it. Uh, we think it makes sense as a path to reconciliation. While O'Toole said like, we'll provide services in indigenous languages and uh, Blanchet from the BQ uh, got pretty mad at Trudeau for um, like ceding to indigenous groups without, or like while pushing around Quebec, prompting the best moment of the entire debate where Justin Trudeau got really into his Quebec nationalist side, which was beautiful. Um, and stated very adamantly, uh, because I am a Quebecer, as you keep forgetting, I am a Quebecer, I'm a proud Quebecer, I've always been a Quebecer, I'll always be a Quebecer, I will always have a say on what happens in Quebec, you don't have a monopoly over Quebec. It was cooler in French. Well, yeah. I, I, I think that one moment um, is kind of what this entire debate uh, is, is kind of focused on. Uh, since it's in French, um, as I said earlier, there's lots of French pockets throughout the entire country, but most of it is in Quebec. And um, if, if we face the truth here in Quebec, the race is mainly between the Liberals and the Bloc Québécois. There, there are some cons conservative seats as well, but it's, it's, it's mainly a, there's one NDP seat in, in the whole province. <laughs> the orange wave in 2011 was in large part because of NDP success. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I'm I'm saying right now, uh, right the, now. The, the big showdown is the Bloc Québécois and the Liberals. Um, and it, this is something that we won't see in the English language debate, um, where the focus is the whole country and not just Quebec. Um, 
And the, the, the question of what it means to be Quebecois is really central to the, the Bloc Quebecois platform and their party. As, as I'm sure most people have seen, there's signs all, all over. They say Quebecois or Quebecois on them. Um, and I think Justin Trudeau was trying to make a point that, yeah, you, you are Quebecois, but so, so are we. Uh, and uh, given questions of whether Quebec should be its own nation, I think Justin Trudeau is like, yes, but I'm still Quebecois. Uh, and um, where we can all still be Quebecois um, while existing within Canada. Um, and so, yeah, that, that one moment is kind of, I think, uh, the, the main focus of, of this entire evening. Yeah, this was definitely a huge moment. And it was also kind of abrupt. I was watching on my laptop and I accidentally closed the tab for like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And I came back so quickly and they were very heated. Like Trudeau was basically yelling at Blanchette. And I was like, what is going on? Um, and I think it is one of those moments to really speak to Quebec and even just be, you know, a huge soundbite takeaway from the debate. Um, when you're looking to like Quebec is going to be huge if the liberals want to win this election. I think you could definitely sense like Trudeau's long time frustration uh, with the bloc. It, maybe I'm optimistic, but the moment didn't seem scripted to me. It didn't seem like something that, you know, like the liberal uh, campaign had practiced of, you know, Trudeau getting really, really fired up um, about being from Quebec. Um, it seemed like kind of an authentic moment for Trudeau being like, yeah, like you've made things really difficult for me in terms of Ottawa-Quebec relations in the past few years. And you don't understand, like you don't understand that we do have liberal representation in the House of Commons from Quebec. Um, there are liberal MPs in Quebec that the Bloc is not the only representation of Quebec in the House of Commons. And I, I think you could really see you know, kind of Trudeau unleash a little bit of this more intense side of him uh, that we don't really get to see very much. And, you know, kind of is very like polished, very, um, I don't know, like very kind of concise, very well-spoken, eloquent um, side of him. That's what we normally see in the public, but then you got to see him get really, really mad about this one specific issue. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he starts doing better and kind of back among Quebec voters, because they can tell that he, you know, he does care about the province. Like, sure, like they've had some kind of disputes, you know, Trudeau, Lego are historically not the best of friends, um, but Trudeau clearly cares. And I, I think that's gonna resonate. It, it also shows that I, 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 I think that Justin Trudeau's best moments happen when uh, he's unscripted. Because uh, because oftentimes when he's he's scripted his his message won't really come across as being that authentic, um, but in in moments like that those those create the sound bites that uh, that gain traction, uh, and those are all unscripted. And I think on that point, the format of this debate did hinder him in some ways because he had that really great moment, but he also because it was so formal in these people are talking at this time, you're debating this person at this time, he wasn't able to um, like go one-on-one -on -one and question people like Aaron O'Toole in those moments that we saw a lot in the 2019 campaign against Sheer. Anyway, yeah, I, I agree with Adam. It's definitely a debate uh, kind of for Quebec in a sense. Um, and, and Quebec is an election decider, you know, like they, it's a party will only ever do as well as they do in Quebec, so. Maybe I've just been spending too much time in Montreal, but <laughs> um, all of my Canadian politics props are, are from Montreal. So maybe I'm a little bit biased in that sense, but um, it definitely is kind of an important debate uh, to win, even though we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I think, I think Trudeau did quite well for himself in terms of getting more of a Quebec vote. Uh, they also talked about book burning at the debate, which was interesting. Uh, so that question was in response to some headlines that were made a few days ago about a Catholic school district in Ontario that in a little bit of a misguided move uh, towards reconciliation burned copies of um, Tipton and 
aesthetics because of racist depictions of black and indigenous people. Uh, this, even though this happened a few years ago, it only recently came to light and somehow worked its way into a, like a leaders debate, an official leaders debate. Not sure why. And it's not even really a point of contention. Um, we saw every single leader say essentially the same thing, um, that there are ways to do reconciliation without book burning, but also that you don't need to have like certain books in schools. Um, and no one was like endorsing book burning, which seems to be in the way they're like phrasing these questions here. And then also in a press conference for Erin O'Toole, like about a, a, probably a week or a week and a half ago, how reporters are trying to ask these questions. Um, it's just not getting the traction that I guess that they want to be able to like um, make this a bigger issue, but it's still making its way into all of these parts of the election, which is really interesting. It just did kind of seem to me like, I don't know, like a rebel news reporter had, had mm -hmm. hacked into the question list, <laughs> kind of added this little, this little thing. Um, you know, and they talked about it for yeah. a good amount of time. Yeah, it wasn't just kind of like a throwaway, a throwaway question. It was like, oh, we're going to ask every candidate about whether or not they endorse book burning. And it was two years ago. In <laughs> it happened two years ago. It wasn't. <laughs> um, so kind of a weird, a weird moment of the debate. Um, that I don't, I, I didn't see any talk about it. I don't think anybody particularly cared very much. Um, but yeah, kind of weird little moment that we all, we all kind of caught on to. Uh, and then they talked about uh, the kind of like foreign relations and justice. So uh, there was a big discussion about uh, the Afghanistan evacuation. Uh, notably, uh, Trudeau kind of had faced some fire about leaving uh, interpreters who had worked for the Canadian military in Afghanistan uh, and kind of ending the evacuation mission a little early, uh, giving all the other candidates a very ripe opportunity to pile on to the liberal leader once again. That was a cool moment, I guess. Yeah, Afghanistan's an interesting one to discuss because all the leaders can say, like, I would have done this, we should be saving these people. But Realistically, the Canadian role in Afghanistan depends so much on the U.S. Um, and what Joe Biden decides to do. So it's 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 hard to blame Trudeau realistically for what's going on. Um, but there were other like claims that went along with it. I think Singh brought up just foreign aid in general, um, and that can Canada should have a bigger role in foreign aid. And it kind of also circled into a debate from Blanchette about immigration and francophone immigrants yeah it was definitely like, like a, I, I'm just kind of I'm I'm always surprised when uh kind of the discussion about Canadian involvement in Afghanistan focuses more on like um and I guess like because it's more timely but it focuses on like oh we have all these interpreters used to work for the Canadian government in Kandahar and you know they're still there like there's still some Canadian citizens who didn't get didn't get out of the country quick enough um, rather also, than having kind of any more meaningful conversations about why Canada was in Afghanistan in the first place. Um, and, you know, what kind of what the lead up to what was essentially abandoning Afghanistan uh, in 2012 and 2014. Um, and I'm just kind of surprised that like that didn't really come up. It seems like something um, that would have been a good, good opportunity to either criticize the Conservative Party's record on foreign relations, um, kind of looking at Stephen Harper's previous record and the fact that Aaron O'Toole hasn't really said anything about it um, might have been an interesting opportunity to have further discussion about Canada's future uh, involvement in Afghanistan, but also in um, kind of other areas of conflict. Um, I'm just, I, it's just kind of one of those things that's bothered me a little bit in terms of the discussion about Afghanistan. We, we never really do talk mm -hmm. about why Canada was there. Yeah. Well, in, 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 terms of, um, in terms of what Justin Trudeau can comment on and what Aaron O'Toole and Jigmeet Singh and all, all of them can comment on, I, I, I think the question of why Canada uh, first got involved in, in the war, even though in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not that uh, far back, it's, 
they none of these can, candidates really had a role in how Canada joined the war or even uh, left the the war. And so, um, if 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 they're they're on, only given a, a, a short time to, to kind of talk through each topic, I think the more pertinent issue was how. Canada was able or unable to get people out of Afghanistan over the past few months. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I also do think that that's a very important question in terms of why we went in and why we left. But I, I think in the context of, of this conversation, um, the, the, the more recent, uh, evacuation effort is probably the, the most pertinent topic. Yeah. And definitely did allow um, Trudeau to get a little bit um, mad again. Uh, you know, all of these can they turned to him last. Uh, so they asked him about the evacuation of Afghanistan uh, after any of the other leaders. And obviously all the other leaders are saying like, oh, I definitely would have gotten um, everyone out. And it's a shame that Trudeau hasn't. Um, and then Trudeau gets to have his little moment of, we are getting them out, guys. Like we figured it out. Um, just give it some time. Uh, so he did talk about that a bit, which was an interesting moment. Uh, they did also. Sorry, Grace, go ahead. Also, just more surface level. This bringing up Afghanistan gives another opportunity for the other leaders leaders to circle back um, to Trudeau and say, "Why did you call a snap election on the day that Kabul fell?" You know, this is Jagmeet Singh's favorite topic. I call the election he brought it up every subject um and then they talked a bit about other foreign relations so Trudeau had to face questions about uh what is apparently I'm not too sure about this apparently a failing relationship with the U.S. uh he and Joe Biden have only had three extensive phone calls that that makes no sense to me as as a topic like it should should Trudeau be be calling Joe Biden like every single day and saying good night or like, <laughs> it was a really Why awkward are you moment. besties with Joe yet? Yeah, and huh? I, and and also like sure symbolically, um, the 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 friendship between Trudeau and Biden is is important, but on on the ground and the way things work and in terms of trying to reopen the border, that's a, a lot of that is done. Uh, by uh, by other people in government and not Justin Trudeau and not Joe Biden. So I I I I think that's just kind of, kind of a weird argument to say you've only called Joe Biden three times. It was an awkward question. I think Trudeau even was like a little weirded out by it. He started by saying, "I have a good relationship with Joe Biden." I'm in communication with him a lot. And then he kind of had to, you know, like revert back to that. They only had three official phone calls, but it's also do voters, are they really concerned that he's only had three phone calls? Like it's been less than a year. It was a weird point for sure. I mean, I don't know about you, but I let my thoughts on American politics dictate my, uh, my Canadian political <laughs> decisions. <laughs> well, yeah, the true. other point is just, Voters don't typically tend to be swayed by uh, international relations or foreign policy in their like federal voting, basically at all. Yeah, yeah. No, my favorite, my oh, favorite part of that question was uh, Justin Trudeau saying like, you know, when we talked about the border, we talked all day. Like I had a day long phone call <laughs> with Joe. I was on, I was on the phone basically with him. five phone calls, just bonus. Yeah, like add a few. That's like a long phone call. I don't talk to anyone (laughs) all day. Very quickly back to Grace's point that like foreign policy isn't really kind of like a main issue for voters. Um, That's true, but I I am glad to to see it get some some airtime as well, because it is it is very important. We we see what's going on throughout the world. You've got Afghanistan. Obviously, the the border with the U.S. What's going on with the two Michaels? All of that, um, and I I do think that Canada has an important role to play on on the world stage, and maybe we don't talk about it that much. But I I, I am glad to see that topic 
get some some air time. Well, no, yeah, both- that is a good point, and I would agree, especially with the co- the caveat of the U.S. Like the mm-hmm. Canada U.S. relation is pretty important to voters, especially with the border right now. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about foreign relations, I'll give. Um, it gave O'Toole kind of his chance to shine about being uh, hard on China. His favorite topic. His favorite topic. Um, I I might be getting these numbers wrong because this is anecdotal, but apparently China comes up in the conservative platform over 30 times uh, while it comes up in the liberal platform just once. So O'Toole was the only candidate uh, to get asked about being strong on China. I didn't really catch his answer, but I'm, I'm sure it was something about not letting them get away with whatever it is they're getting away with, uh, which was interesting. And Anime Paul also got a question about Israel, which yeah, came I out think, of left field to me. I think this comes from the criticism of the Green Party that uh, they're not taking a huge amount of like party-wide stances on so many issues. Um, and Israel-Palestine was one of those. And I thought it was a weird take from her to just say, we don't have a position on that, um, but Not maybe it's a situation where she can't necessarily, you know, within um, the realm and the drama of her own party, you know, take a position on it. Well, it, it, it is weird that she's the, the only one that got asked uh, a question on the Israel-Palestine Israel conflict as well, um, seeing as she's kind of the, the only Jewish leader on stage um which I, I i saw like on on twitter uh had some some people thinking mm-hmm, for sure like why why they'd only ask her that question uh so that that was kind of weird i thought yeah i think also just acknowledging that you know the green party was clearly not very prepared for a september election uh obviously they're their platform isn't going to be fully developed, but it's not like any other party um, has said anything super strong or definitive about Canadian relations with Israel and Palestine. So it, it was just kind of an awkward conversation, like an awkward uh, question to ask Anime Paul, I think. And, and she seemed a little taken aback by it. She was just kind of like, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah, I'm Jewish, like, what do you want? Um, but yeah, like I, I think her response of like, no, we don't, like we don't have a position on this was probably not the best answer, but you know, knowing kind of where she's coming from and what the situation in the Green Party is right now, it, it makes sense to me. Uh, and then they had some kind of random questions at the end. Not yeah, sure what that fire. section was. Um, so they had some questions about the Trudeau's firearm ban that was announced, I believe last year or two years ago, um, about Trudeau promised to ban a couple hundred different types of firearms in response to the shooting in Nova Scotia, uh, which has been pretty remarkably popular, at least in urban centers, uh, across Canada. Uh, back in August, O'Toole had promised to uh, remove that ban uh, and to allow people to essentially buy whatever firearms they want. And then in the debate, O'Toole said that he won't repeal it, uh, which was an interesting move. Not sure how much O'Toole actually knows about his own platform. Uh, this comes up for me often. Uh, he tends to just say things without mm-hmm. and breaks the breaks with the party every single time. It's again part of this interesting approach of pretending not to be a conservative, um, an approach which seems to be kind of working in the polls. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Now, o- O'Toole is like, yeah, like, I-, I don't like these guys in the party either, but <laughs> you should vote for me anyway. Um, like, vote for them. Just know that I, I maintain party discipline, apparently, I guess. Oh, that was one of the questions I think that got asked is like, how can, by one of the journalists was um, how can, like how, you know, you say all of these things and you break with your party pretty frequently and, you know, you allow your MPs to vote against bills that you're voting for. Um, how can we trust that your election promises are actually in line with what your MPs are going to vote for? And he couldn't really answer that, which is an interesting deviation from what was the Harper era trend of incredibly strict party discipline among the conservatives and that 
that is one one big question if Aaron O'Toole does actually win we don't know a, a exactly like how his caucus will work uh if if it will be very solid or if there's going to be lots of members kind of going off uh with their own fringe policies and fringe bills um and that's something that um is he is going to be really interesting to see if he wins yeah like if he does um you know succeed in forming government uh which not not really any of the seat projections have him doing um but assuming you know the conservatives do manage to win some seats from the liberals it it is going to be interesting to see kind of how that plays out and how O'Toole um actually performs as as a party leader with a bit more name recognition, you know, prior to the election, he was just kind of doing whatever he wanted um, with a little bit of like very little scrutiny, just because nobody knew who he was. Um, but now that he's kind of a household name across Canada, it'll be interesting to see how he acts um, post-election, regardless of whether he forms government or not. Uh, and then they talked about francophone universities for some in, reason. In like five seconds. For like they five like ran seconds. Through. <laughs> Trudeau started Justin listing Trudeau had them. some impressive naming them off. Um, my roommate actually them, so. did a pretty interesting, uh, she was just interested in these universities. And we looked up online. Um, apparently the Ontario French University last year received only 19 applications from students in the province. It is continuing to run. There were like 20 more applications from international students and older students. Um, so the school year is going ahead as planned. Good for them. But definitely a kind of interesting, more nuanced thing that well, I don't yeah. think people are really aware of. I, I, I think that question was um, kind of to, to throw in a question uh, that would cater uh, to like the non-Quebecois francophones, um, mm. uh, which is a, a, a group of people that really isn't spoken about that much even though they they do make up large percentages of of the population in lots of provinces um and so i yeah i i think that question although very poorly timed it was just thrown in there at the very end and it all seemed kind of rushed and a very obscure way to to end the whole evening um but i it it is a a, a good topic to to focus on those non-quebecois francophones I mean, I, I do think that like French education is a really good way of, of kind of spreading bilingualism across more English speaking provinces. But yeah, weird, weird way to end the debate. You can't really get a mic drop moment, I think, when you're talking about like University of Alberta's French immersion program. <laughs> but kind of interesting. And then the debate just sort of ended. <laughs> no closing statements. That was it. I wonder if like that last question was kind of a throwaway, they wouldn't they wouldn't do it if they ran out of time or something. They were like, oh, we have five extra minutes. <laughs> let's let's do this. You just throw it in there. It'll <laughs> it'll be it'll be an entertaining moment. Some people will yell. It'll be great. Yeah, and yeah. then no follow ups. I don't think the uh, kind of the press circle really really picked up on it. Really picked up on uh, everybody's francophone university policy. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it in any of the platforms personally. No. Maybe I just missed Definitely it. Definitely not. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was the end of the debate. Uh, who do we think was the best dressed of the of the night? I have my thoughts. I mean, Being honest, I, I kind of forget. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, there weren't very many like outstanding outfits, to be honest. I just love that Noemi Mercier, like, wore the exact same Tulsi Gabbard white suit. Yes, yeah. Like it was the same suit, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so it's best dressed of everyone. It's not best just the of everyone leaders. Involved. Oh, wow. Oh my God. Definitely the leaders were slacking <laughs> compared to the journalists. Right, sure. like two black suits, two navy blue suits. Yeah. <laughs> I did see on Twitter, Anime Paul wore like Stan Smith sneakers. I mean, you couldn't see behind the podium, but that's pretty cool. Love that for her. I just can't believe that I I, I got to see the Tulsi Gabbard white suit again. 
just like my favorite part of the American election coverage. So the fact that it came back, yeah. right? Uh, politics about Tulsi Gabbard aside, that suit was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then kind of like final, uh, kind of final comments. How kind of, where, how do we see the election playing out? Do we have any predictions? Uh, keeping in mind that um, certain polls have, uh, polls do not have um, any party getting a majority. Uh, most of them do um, have either the Liberals or the Conservatives forming government. Uh, right now, the Conservatives are leading in the polls by about a percentage point on average uh, between one and three, uh, with heat projections, uh, again, placing the Liberals at forming a minority government for the most part. So how do we see kind of the rest of the election playing out? Well, I, I, I see it as a coin toss in, in terms of who will win the most seats. The the part that I'm most curious about is what happens if, say, the Conservatives get five more seats than the Liberals. Then the the balance of power really hangs with the the NDP, the Bloc Québécois, um, and so there there could be kind of a contentious, exciting um, race to not race, but uh, competition to to form government. Um, uh, which will both be very confusing, very stressful, all of that. So that's that's the part I'm I'm most uh, not excited for, but most curious to 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 see if if that happens. If if the liberal and conservative seat count is very very close, which right now it kind of looks like it might be. Mm-hmm. I might be cynical. I might be overestimating the liberals, but I would be shocked if they called an election without incredibly strong internal polling that showed that they were going to win. I mean, I would have thought that they were going to win a majority, but maybe they just wanted to get it over with and hope it wouldn't get worse. Um, So I think it's pretty likely the Liberals will win a minority, Um, but it will be interesting to see how the election plays out and whether, I think it's also pretty likely the Conservatives will win the popular vote especially with the middle of the country, similar to 2019. Also, one last thing, I am really interested to, to see how the People's Party vote actually plays out. Um, it just, if, if it actually turns out to, to be like as, as big as, as the polls are currently saying okay. it is, um, but we'll, we'll find out. So I have been saying this since the beginning, like the set, like the day they called the election, there are text messages to prove this, but my theory for how the election is gonna go, um, based on kind of polling, pre-calling the election, and knowing that most Canadians decide who they're gonna vote for before an election ever gets called, because election, the election process isn't long enough to actually change um, many people's minds, the average um, like, undecided voter count that hovers around 10 to 20 percent, which isn't super substantial. Anyway, my theory is that the Liberals are definitely going to form government. It might be a minority, could be a majority, because the Conservative vote is going to get split between the CPC and the PPC, um, specifically on the issue of vaccine mandates. Because O'Toole, like, said, yes, I, I approve of vaccine mandates, um, I wouldn't like overturn this in certain provinces. And I think that that's going to be a really, really big issue uh, for a lot of conservative voters who would be persuaded to vote PPC, uh, who are running lots and lots of candidates this year. And just know it's on record if it happens. Yeah. I have no money sure. on this. But <laughs> nice. if it happens, I'm going to pat myself on the back. My, my one last hot take is that we end up exactly where we started from, the exact same seat count. <laughs> that would be exciting. 155 for the Liberals, yeah. 119 yeah. for the Conservatives, yeah. I am kind of selfishly holding up out hope that it will be a more exciting election night than 2019 um, mm-hmm. and just closer in the ridings. I feel like in 2019, it was over by like 7 p.m. or something. Oh my God, I was in Red Path Library uh, <laughs> live tweeting it for MIR uh, in 2019. And I just remember like sitting in front of my laptop and there was a moment there where like the conservatives had more projected seats than the liberals. And it was just like this incredibly tense moment um, for the five other people that were in Red Path Library. 
at the time. Um, so it was exciting for me. But yeah, it was it was over pretty early. I think they projected a liberal win by like 8.30. Yeah, or at least yeah, we can pull up the tweet receipts. Oh, I can pull out. Yeah, we'll pull up the live <laughs> tweets um, from my kind of sleep addled sleep addled night of, of live streaming. We're not going to we're probably not going to find out um, kind of final seat totals or anything until a few days after mm-hmm. um, September like 20th. Only because of the mail-in ballots Pennsylvania need to be received. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, maybe we'll have a week-long election. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> nah, we can't do that again. <laughs> Live tweet that. <laughs> Live tweet for a whole week. Sorry, I can't okay, come to class. Every single riding has been counted. Uh, count all the votes before you call anything. That's my policy. Mm-hmm. I don't want any room. Anyway, any final comments uh, before we wrap up? We're all feeling good about it. Anyway, this has been uh, the MIR's coverage of the official uh, French language leaders debate of the 44th Canadian federal election. Uh, Stay tuned for uh, some of our colleagues talking about the English language leaders debate. Uh, If you're eligible to vote in Canada, please remember to vote. Check out Elections Canada uh, for information about how to do that. And we will see you soon.